that song is really essentially saying, I, I don't want to settle. In the verse, it talks about his joy being ours, and yet we tend to settle for just going through the motions. Um, I think that's part of where we're headed tonight. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6 together. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so I'm just going to get right into it. Um, Matthew 6 is kind of the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which has a number of uh, number of reasons for being important to us and how it fits into God's Word and stuff like that. And one of the reasons is that Jesus, here He is on a hillside with all these people, and He's trying to, to let them know that everything is different now. And that the Kingdom of God, through Him, has, is now literally standing there in front of them and available to everybody. And in the kingdom of God, everything is different. He kind of just turns things upside down. And he goes through the whole sermon uh, just kind of saying, you know, you've been taught this. This has been your experience in the world. But what I'm here to tell you is this. And he said, you don't have to deal with anger that way. You don't have to deal with judgment that way. Um, That uh, he goes through and says, you've been told you're not invited into the kingdom, but I'm here to tell you that you are. You've been told that this is how you fast. I'm here to tell you this is what it's about. This is how you pray. I'm here to tell you this is how you really need to pray. He's just just steadily just turning things over and presenting reality to everybody that's sitting there. And a part of that reality is, is okay, this in the kingdom of God, this is how this is how you relate to God. Okay, so there's like a vertical aspect. And then other times he's saying this is how you relate to each other in the kingdom of God. It's how you relate to your father. It's how you relate to each other. And he's teaching and training them on that hillside. And then through the gift of God's word, we're able to be here tonight and to look at this, this stuff. And So in verse 24, we've got to get a little bit of insight. He's been talking in the previous verses about, about where your treasure is. He says, in the kingdom of the world, your treasures are... are are all earthly things. It's possessions, it's money, it's status, it's all this stuff. And, and if you store your treasures there, that's where your heart's going to be. And all those things are fleeting. They're, they're going to pass away. He says, but now you have access to a kingdom where the treasure, the things you invest your life into are not earthly and able to be destroyed. They're in the heavens, the things of God, where nothing can touch it because it's safe and secure. And so he's kind of basically saying, you've been taught that this is the role that money plays in your life. And what I'm here to tell you is that it doesn't play that role. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now notice it says you cannot serve God and money. It doesn't say that you should not serve God and money. It's saying you can't. Saying this, this, is, this is reality. You can't do both. You're going to have one master. Your heart's going to be in one place. You're kidding yourself if you think that you can like, divide yourself equally or whatever. He says you can't serve God in money. It's going to be one or the other. So much of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, look, your, your life has a singular focus. You're single-minded. You're not double-minded or triple-minded. You're single-minded. 
that's how I made you to be. The world tells you that you can be quadruple-minded or whatever, and I'm here to tell you that you can't be that way. It's just one. Then he goes right into this next terrible passage for so many of us, where he says in 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about your life. He says your life is going to have a singular focus. Don't worry about your life. Sometimes people will ask me, they're like, hey, how, you know, how are things at the ring? You know, and usually that means, like, how many people do you have coming? You know, uh, are you miserable as a pastor? Uh, those kinds of things. You know, they want stats. And so I kind of have like a, I have like kind of three sets of answers. I have the, I know you don't really care, so I'm just going to like sum it up in a sentence, you know, for the certain people, because I know they don't really care. It's just what you do when you, whatever. Uh, when you run into a pastor, you ask him how his church is, right? So I have the, I know you don't really care answer. Then I have the, uh, I have the answer where it's, I'm kind of like, uh, I'll kind of like throw the bait out there a little bit and see if they really care. So that's me kind of just messing with them, which isn't fair, really. But I'm like, well, you know, I mean, it just depends on you know, what, what part of it, you know, you really want to know about. <laughs> and they'll either be like, yeah, oh, that's great. <laughs> or they'll ask more questions, you know. Um, and so I just kind of have different sets of answers and different things. But every now and then you get somebody who wants to know, when they say, how are, how are things at the ring? They want to know about you. Like they want to know about the people because they know that it's not... It's not about the other stuff. Uh, they care about you. They want to know how, how are the hearts and minds of the people. And, and I, I, have, I have just this deep well of goodness to go to with that, about you, to talk positively about you. And I'm, I'm never one of those guys that, like, behind closed doors, when it's just me and some other preachers, I'm sitting there bawling my eyes out about how miserable I am. Other guys do that, and I hate that for them but love it for me because I'm like, man, our people are awesome, you know? Uh, and so th- there's, a, there's a deep well of goodness. But I feel like for tonight, I need to go to the, uh, to the well of like, struggle that we have. And this is not something I tell other people. This is something I'm going to tell you. That I feel like in the, in the well of, of things that, that we desperately need collectively, God to sanctify us in and to grow us and mature us and things that we're struggling with, uh, it's not a super deep well, but, but it's there. And we know it, and it's okay. And that's part of why we're here. We're in the boat together to figure out how, and how can Jesus make us look more like Him. I think one of the things that corporately kind of describes this is I think that we worry a lot. And the word that I would use to describe what 2012 was like, if, if I had to go in the more critical direction, I think that as a church, I think we're incredibly distracted. Like that would be my word. Our people seem distracted. Now, I didn't say demonic. I didn't say evil. I didn't say, you know, distracted. And so in, in praying toward tonight and just kind of feeling like there needed to just needs to be addressed, especially at the beginning of a year when people are like, okay, this is, you know, whatever. If we're going to be that way, if we're going to have some sort of clean slate in front of us, then let's, let's be honest as a corporate family here and say, okay, if we're going to put something on our like, prayers for our, our church, uh, distraction, let's let, let's let that make something that we're working on together.
And so I was praying about it and just kind of be like, okay, Lord, where, where could this go? It could go a number of different directions. And uh, I learned something in my studies about this verse in particular. That when Jesus says, uh, do not be anxious about your life, um, that word anxious, you know, some translations will say worry, okay? Um, that when you look at that word in Greek, it means to be anxious, okay? Troubled with cares, you know? Like it's things that you're tending to, but it's, it's, it's a burden, you know? Um, that, the word that's used right there comes from another word that means care or anxiety, all right? That word comes from a, a word that means to divide, separate into parts, cut into pieces, split into factions, divide into parties, disunite, and distract. That the word I would use to describe something that we need God to do among us, or, or kind of being like, okay, where, where are we distracted? That that word is found in this text. And in English, it's anxiety or worry. But it's the kind of anxiety or worry that distracts us from what is important. You know, it's, uh, you know the story where uh, you have Mary and Martha, the two sisters, and Jesus coming to their house. And uh, one of them, uh, I always get them backwards, so I won't even try. But one of the sisters is like, like uh, sitting at Jesus' feet. Listening to him, ready to just soak up his presence and whatever. I mean, he's, Jesus is in my house, you know. Uh, the other sister is like tending to all this other stuff, you know. And Jesus tells the one that's all busy, he says, You're distracted with many things. Your sister has chosen what is best. I, th- I think that that's kind of us. And that's. This, the spirit of where this word anxiety or worry or whatever comes from, that in the Greek, when you heard, heard that word, you would hear division, distraction, uh, being double-minded. You would hear all that stuff when you heard that word. So we, when we think anxiety, we tend to think a certain number of things, but we have to think like a first century Jewish person sitting there, and you hear that word, and you, you go another direction with it. And so... Being distracted, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, when, we, when we think about something like this, when Jesus says, don't worry about your life, don't be anxious about your life, uh, if we're thinking about don't be divided, don't be distracted, don't be worried, don't be f- like focused on a, like the wrong things, uh, I think some of you here, here, immediately you're like, yeah, that's me. There's no, there's no doubt. And, we, and there's different forms that this distraction and anxiety and worry, however you want to think of it, will come. For some, I mean, you, you have some forms of anxiety that people are, or it's almost like bondage, you know, like you have people who, who can't leave their homes because anxiety has them so paralyzed, you know, fear of what may happen if they leave, you know. Um, you have other people whose anxiety, it, it triggers like an emotional response, you know, like, like a panic attack kind of thing. Um, you have some people who, when, for anxiety or worry, like it really is, they just fret all the time, you know, and, they're, and they're, they just live in this like what if kind of world, you know, what if this happens or this or this or this, and they're playing out these scenarios all the time, you know, there's, there's that kind of worry and anxiety. Uh, there's also worry and anxiety that's, that's a little more, it's a little more subtle, you know, it's, it's people who are worried about what, what everybody else thinks about them all the time. 
So they kind of live with this like reputation management deal all the t- you know with, with everybody in every situation you know. So it's like, man, I want everybody to think I'm cool, so I got to act cool. I want everybody to think I'm funny, so I got to act funny. I don't want them to think this, so I got to do this. And it's we're just you're constantly making all these adjustments so that everybody thinks about you the way that you want them to think about you, and you're worried about it. And it's real similar to like a approval addiction. You know, you just you want everybody to always be happy with you and never be disappointed with you. And so you're always just trying to keep everybody happy. And your worst moment in a week is if you find out that somebody is upset with you or disapproving of something that you did, or if you maybe let someone down, it just crushes you so much. Those are forms of worry. Those are forms of distraction and division where you're you're tending to what people think about you and you're trying to keep that going all the time. These are all forms of worry. And so while some of you might say, yes, I'm definitely, like, I'm an anxious worrier, uh, and other people would say, no, that's not really me, I I believe that this is one of the most natural, uh, human, like, default modes that we go into, is we just worry. And we get distracted. We're afraid, and we're, that leads to control. We doubt. And that leads to fear, which leads to control, and just all this, all this stuff in this whole realm. And so for Jesus to have the audacity to stand up and say, don't worry about your life, is completely foreign to us, because worry and anxiety and distraction and division and being double-minded or triple-minded or whatever-minded just comes so naturally to us. And I think the, the pushback is going to be, how can I not worry? Like, look at the world that we live in. I mean, there were probably people last night at the food court, at the mall, just, just wanting some Chick-fil-A. Next thing you know, flash mob gone wrong, fight breaks out, cops are there, whatever. And you're like, I can't even go to the mall, I can't even go to the food court. Like, watch the news. Listen to people. There's all kinds of stuff to be worried about. How, how can Jesus stand up and say, don't worry about your life? Well, I, th- I think we have, to, we have to dig into it a little more to understand exactly what he's saying. And so whatever, whatever form of distraction that you have, because that's the thing, all these different like, kinds, kinds of anxiety and worry, they, they distract us from what's important. And we're not a, we're, we act like we're a multitasking culture, you know, but we're not. We can do a bunch of stuff at, one, but, at once, but we end up like not really being invested in any of those things at one time. We're, trying, we're spreading ourselves out you know, a little too thin. And so if, if you're sitting there and you're trying to figure out, like, like let's say that you were the kind of person who listens to a sermon and processes it, and you're trying to be like, okay, I think, I think God has a word for us tonight. Where, what, am, what is distracting me? You find that thing that's distracting. Okay, so um, let's, let's say it could be approval addiction or it could be like whatever, whatever it is. If you, trace it, if you trace it down to the root, you're probably going to land in like one, of, one of two camps. You're going to land in the camp of, at the root of my distraction is something uh, sinful, or at the root of my distraction is something good. Right? Something sinful, something good. So you may, you may trace 
your distraction down, and you're in the sinful camp because it's really coming down to uh, self-preservation, self-centeredness, fear, doubt, a lack of true faith that God is who He says He is, and He can do exactly what He says He can do. You trace it down, and for some of you, you're like, yeah, the reason why I worry about my life is there's, there's an issue there. Like there's a sinful, negative thing that's there that needs to be dealt with. But you notice in the verse, Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Okay, Those are good things, right? I mean... Food, like we, he made us to require food to keep us going. That's a good thing, right? Clothing, that's a good thing. So there's our, food's not evil, clothing isn't evil. So it doesn't go in the camp. Like if you trace it down to the root, you may find yourself like these things. Like these are good things. And so maybe you trace yours down and maybe... Maybe, like, if, if your area of worry, let's say that it's money, you know, let's say that it's finances, that that's the, that's the thing that distracts you. And then this economy and the fiscal cliff and all that kind of stuff, let's say that that is the thing that has you distracted and divided and worried. That's the thing that's keeping you from living a single-minded life. Um, you trace that down, and that, that could go in either camp, Right? Let's say it doesn't go in the camp where it's a, there's a, it's a sinful issue causing that. Let's say it goes into the camp where it's a good thing. Like where you're, like Jesus has made you into someone who really desires to be a good steward of what he has entrusted to you. Like that's the honest place where you are. And so when you read reports about things and all that, and like maybe, maybe you have a family and you're trying to look out for the future and trying to be smart with those things and whatever, like maybe that's the, the place where you are. And you're like, I just, I just want to be a good steward. I, it's not a sin issue. It's, this is a good thing that's leading to my double-mindedness, that's leading to my anxiety and to my worry. We can be distracted by good things. So maybe it's stewardship that's a good thing for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's family. I mean, our demographics have shifted so much since we planted. We'll be, seven, we'll be seven years old in February. In seven years, our demographic is really different than it was seven years ago. We've got a lot of people with really young kids. And so if, if you're trying to figure out what has me worried and anxious... You trace it down to the root, okay? If it's your kids, it's not going in the sinful camp, right? It's going in the good camp. But let's be honest, young parents. It's distracting. And some of that, it comes with the territory. And some of it, it just doesn't. And so, maybe that's the good thing that's distracting you. Maybe, maybe it's... You trace it down, and maybe it's your schedule. Maybe you just you look at how just maxed out you are. And that's what's got you divided. That's what's got you distracted. That's what's got you worried and anxious all the time is you're just doing too much. Maybe, maybe it's ministry, you know. 
Maybe some of you that serve on some of our, of our ministry teams and some of our capacities. Maybe me or Meg or our interns or whatever. It's easy to be so distracted with ministry that we become divided and double-minded about things. And so anxiety and worry is not always going to have some sort of sin issue at the root. Sometimes it can have good things, and sometimes it can have negative things. But no, no matter which camp you're in, I believe that what Jesus says in verse 25, uh, at the end of it, um, He says, Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, drink, worry about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? No matter what camp you're in, I think the message is the same is that life is about more than this. The single focus of your life is greater than those things in either one of those camps. It's easy to see that with the sinful camp. Sometimes it's a struggle to see it in the camp of good things. Good or bad, if you're being distracted, divided, if you're being double-minded and the pursuit of your life, then you're missing what life is all about. And Jesus says, guess what? You can't do both. You think you can, but you can't. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And if you're distracted by things in either one of these camps, that's where your heart's going to be. That's where your devotion is going to be. Jesus says, that's not what the kingdom is about. And so what, where do we go from here? Look at, look at the next verse. Look at 26. I want, and I want us to really understand the picture that he is painting here. And I'm going to make a really, probably a strange illustration at the end of this. And let me just go ahead and just prepare you for it. It may not be as strange I want to actually say it. But it was super strange when I was like getting it ready. I was like, that might be weird. We'll see. Now that your anticipation is high, let's see. Uh, Look at 26. It says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He's painting a picture here uh, of of a father and a child. The father, or God who sovereignly and lovingly cares for all things. Right? He, He cares about the birds, he cares about the flowers. He cares more about you. You were made in His image. They were not. You're more valuable than they. That's Him. He lovingly and sovereignly cares for all things. That's the picture of the Father. 
So what's the picture of the child? The picture of the child is one who's valued beyond belief. Like, we just have no idea. I think those of you who, who are parents can probably understand that better than those of us who are not. If you tried to articulate how much you love your kids, you just, you just couldn't do it, really. Maybe the best way is you would probably say, I would die for my child. That's probably the closest unemotional answer that you'll get from a parent, is I would easily hand over my life for my child. So that's the picture of the child, is valued beyond belief. The loving, sovereign God who is Father, caring for everything, for every need, every there, uh, every, every care, willing to lay down his own life for his kid. That's the picture that Jesus paints standing on this hillside. Probably bird, birds flew over and he's like, that bird, they're probably sitting among flowers, these flowers. He probably points at them and says, you are greater than this and greater than that. He's trying to help them understand it. And so here's the, here's the connection, I think, that we need to make in regard to being distracted. Is that a, a kid who is loved well is not full of worry and, and anxiety and stress. So, you go, to, you go to Kolkata, you go to the train station, you see the kids there who are homeless. They're, uh, you start to hear their stories, and, and I, I know this is a generalization, there are exceptions, but in general, you have kids who ran away from abusive homes, where they were uh, abused physically, emotionally, abused in every, in every possible way. Uh, and they just took off. And now, here they are, 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, 13, 14, 15 years old, homeless, living life with a gang community at a train station. And when you go and you talk to them, and you can ask Ringo, and you can ask Adam, you look at them, and they are, they, they look double their age. You can just see the stress that they live under and the anxiety and the worry that's there. And I know that, that they, in general, have come from cycles of poverty and social injustice and all that. And so what I'm about to say, I don't mean this as a slam against their parents, but their parents were not good parents. There are a number of things that contributed to them not being good parents, but they weren't good parents. And those kids ran away, and now they are worried and they are stressed, and they're doing the best that they can. You can see it all over their faces. They're distracted. They're double-minded. They're stressed out, and they're worried. So you have that group of kids. If you walk to our nursery back here, you have kids who are not at all worried and not at all stressed. And if you were to sit down and you were to, you were to go up to one of them, let's, let's take Eli Ringo. If you were to go to Eli Ringo and say, Eli, are you, are you worried about whatever? 
he would give you that awesome, like, you know, that, that Ringo stare, like, what are you talking about? Here's the thing. You take a kid like Eli, worry and anxiety does not make sense to him. You could explain it and explain it and explain it, and he would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Leave me alone. <laughs> you know? It wouldn't even translate. Why? Because he has awesome parents. When you and I are going through our lives and we are worried and we are stressed and we are anxious and we are afraid and we are distracted and we are double-minded, we're living as though we had abusive parents in heaven. We're living as if God is a terrible father to us. Instead of living like those kids back there, I think that's what Jesus is trying to like paint this picture. He's saying... This is the, you've experienced this. This is the world that you live in that says you have all this stuff to worry about, all this stuff to worry about. And he's coming and saying, no, 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 no. Your father is good. He is good. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you directly. He's going to take care of you indirectly through his church. Directly through His Spirit, through His Son. Indirectly through His people. So you go to the Bowery Mission in New York, there are all these needs being met. Directly by God, through His church, by the people. When we serve in different parts of our community, God's taking care of those people directly and and indirectly through His people. Because... Our God is not an abusive father. He's not neglectful. He's not immersed in sin. He's not in recovery. He's holy and perfect and filled with goodness and constantly ready to take care of us. And yet here we are insisting like we live at the kids at the train station. I think that's what Jesus is trying to to paint the, the contrast and help everybody on that hillside to understand that everything is different. Now I'm going to teach you how to live like it. And so well, here's, here's where we are. You have those two extremes. We spiritually are, are a lot like the kids at Hope of Life. Okay, So Nabeen goes to the train station. There are kids that leave, leave the, that poverty and those cycles of oppression and injustice and all that kind of stuff. He, leave, he takes them and he brings them into his home. All they know is that. And Jesus is leading them toward that. Right? All they know is the train station. He's leading them toward our nursery. Okay? And here they are in hope of life. And what are they doing? They're having to learn how to trust. They're having to learn the goodness of God and the beauty of Jesus and the, amazing, the amazingness of grace and, and all those things. And they're having to learn day by day by day by day by day how to live in the nursery. How to live in the kingdom. That's how we are. We've been rescued out of this world that is distracted and worried and stressed and afraid and full of doubt and fear. Into a world that we're rescued out of a world that is bullied around by the approval of others and having to keep other people happy and make sure our reputations are the same, are, are, are intact and are good. 
That's out of a world that's worried about money, out of a world that's worried about time and scheduling, and out of a world that's just obsessed with all these things. And here we are in this classroom, learning to trust and to obey, and to trust and to obey. I think that's what Jesus is telling them. That's the picture that he's painting. Don't worry about your life. Don't be distracted. Don't be divided. Don't be double-minded in your life. You weren't made to have a double-minded life. You were made to have a single-minded life. It used to not be possible, and now it's more than possible. It's guaranteed. And so, so how do we do that? You know, if... If collectively, as a church, if we're sitting here and your pastor's up here saying, like, I think we're, we've been pretty distracted lately. I think we've been kind of double-minded. I think, I think that there are things distracting us from what is most important. What do, we, what do we do about it? Well, I think that's why 633 is this great mantra of the church, because this is what we do. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and this classroom will be incredibly effective in transitioning you from living at the train station to living in our nursery. From understanding uh, why you should be anxious to the point where you don't even understand anxiety and worry and double-mindedness anymore. It doesn't even translate anymore. You're like, why in the world would I be stressed? Why would I be worried about stuff? Yeah, life is hard sometimes. We all go through stuff. Whatever. We'll get through the pain. We'll get through the suffering. We'll sacrifice. We'll do whatever. Why? Because we know the end of the story. We, we know it. It's not a page turner. We know. What a beautiful gift that Jesus says, look, I'll take you from only knowing worry to the point where worry doesn't even make sense to you anymore. And here's how you do it. You seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness above all. Everything else will be added to you. All that stuff will be taken care of. Here's your deal. And so, the kingdom of God, what is, what is that? Well, that's everything being the way God wants it to be. That's the kingdom of God. Everything is how it ought to be. That's the kingdom. You live in that now. It's His heart, His vision, His design for the world. So you seek that first. And what is His righteousness? Well, His righteousness... That's when our actions and our behavior and all that kind of stuff are consistent with His holy character. In other words, saying you seek His righteousness, which is you seek how to live out your holiness in, in all those different things, in all those situations. And so how do you, how do you deal? Like what, if, what if money is like the big thing that's distracting you and stressing you? Well, you come before the Lord and you say, okay, Lord, I know that this is distracting me and dividing me and splitting me up and I'm double-minded in this area. I want to be single-minded on you. I need to know what does money look like in the kingdom of God and what is righteousness, what is, how, what is me living out that holiness, what does that look like in regard to money? And you seek it and you seek it above other things and you seek it and you seek it and you seek it. And next thing you know, you're like, man, I'm, I, I used to flip out about money. And now, I don't flip out as much. And in six months, I'll flip out even less. 
What do you do when you're like, man, my child, my kids, they are completely distracting me from my Savior. What do you do with that? Get rid of your kids? No. You come before the Lord and you say, Lord, I know that that this parenting deal has thrown me for a loop. And only you know how to raise these kids in a single-minded way. So will you show me as a mom, as a dad, as a, as a couple, will you show us what, what the kingdom looks like as a parent? Will you show us what righteousness looks like? So that in our single-mindedness, our kids flourish under that single-mindedness. Because parents, your single-mindedness, if it is aimed at your kids, your kids are not going to flourish. If you're ignoring Jesus... For their sake, that's bull. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Jesus said it about mammon. It's the same thing about kids. If, you're, if your family, if you're like, like your immediate family, like your siblings, parents, or whatever, or in-laws and all that kind of stuff, if they are bullying your schedule, then you've got to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what to do about this, but um, I need your help. It's interesting that he doesn't just say seek the kingdom. He says seek first the kingdom. And when we seek first the kingdom, that means that sometimes, you know what you have to say? You have to say no. You have to say no. I'm not, we're not going to do that. That if your schedule is so packed that you are skipping church or skipping community group on a regular basis, then you need to say no to some stuff. And that's not my desire to have high numbers and groups because I couldn't tell you how many people this room holds or how many people are in our community groups. That's, it's totally irrelevant. We don't track that stuff. And when I have to turn in a number, I just make one up. Uh, I do. But if we believe that that's God's plan for us as a community, and when you came into this community, you knew it and you signed on, and you're like, yeah, that's what I'm here to do. Uh, if you're overscheduled, then you start saying no to stuff. Because some of you, because you don't say no to things, you can't say yes to the things that you need to be saying yes to. And I'm, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm just here to be, to be honest. And I'm in that boat too because there are so many times, so many times, when uh, the best things for me, I say no to them because I've said yes to too much other stuff. And whether that's community group or Sunday nights or whatever, or if, if you're never in the Word, like you and the Lord, if prayer is, is like not even ever a part of your life, then you've said yes to the wrong things. And then you start saying no. That's seeking the kingdom. That's living in that classroom. That's living at hope of life. Letting the Lord teach you His goodness and His grace, and His mercy, and all those kinds of things. So you seek it first. And the thing about seeking is you don't accidentally seek something, do you? I mean, if you're walking down the street, and you look down there, there's a $20 bill, you weren't seeking that $20 bill. You stumbled into it. You, that was an accident. Seek has intentionality with it. It has purpose in it. And so if you're distracted and divided, and double-minded, and the Spirit of God is convicting you, I'm not here to convict you. I'm, I'm, that's not my role. If God's Spirit is convicting you about something, 
Then you look at verse 33 and you say, okay, what do I need to do? I need to seek the kingdom and His righteousness first. And if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to use the Bible, whatever. Then you're, in, you're good. You're in the right place. That's what we do together. We figure out how do, you, how do you pray? and How does the Word apply to us? And how do we do this? And how do we do this? And we learn together. Everything I'm saying here, no one is an exception to this. Worry is, it's, we're so good at it. We're awesome at worrying. And Jesus has us on a path to make it a foreign concept to us. And here's how I know. You go, you read the end of the Bible, you read the, the um, Revelation 21 and 22, and you read about the new earth and how everything it describes. Nowhere in there is there anything to worry about. There is no anxiety. There's no fear. There's no doubt. There's, no, there's nothing to be divided over at all. There's nothing to be distracted by. And Jesus comes and stands in front of all these people and says, guess what? You can live that reality right now. I'll make that real for you. Now for some, that's going to take a little bit of time. For some, it's going to take a long time. But Jesus says, you want to, come, you want to follow me? You want to be just like me? Just deny yourself? Take up your cross every day? Just come on. And that's what we do collectively. I don't know how this fits in, but here's one thing I do know, is that uh, the enemy would love to distract you from whatever it is that God's stirring in you right now. The, we do have an enemy, and he, he hates it. He hates it when, when God makes things come alive in us. And so if you're sitting there and you're like, uh, yeah, I kind of think this is for me tonight. I think this passage is jumping off the page and God wants me to do something. Then the enemy would love to distract you from your, you trying to figure out what your distractions are. And that's some of why we, uh, why we sing after, sing a little bit more after the sermon. And I've said this before, it's like in the parable of the sower, you know, when the uh, farmer throws a seed out there, lands on the, the whatever, the bird comes in, snatches it, flies away, bird's the devil. And maybe this isn't how it works, but I hope it is. Is that we, when we stand and we sing and we respond corporately, I think it's like throwing dirt on top of that seed, packing it down. So the enemy can't come in and just mess with us. So we now have to be good stewards or whatever it is that he's stirred in us. And so if you are distracted and worried and anxious and divided and double-minded, our good and beautiful Savior says, hey, let's, let's remedy that. I came to fix that. And that can happen here and now. And not that everything gets better in an instant, but he's like, hey, follow me down this path of righteousness. And so I hope that we collectively will be good stewards of that. Let's pray as the band comes back up. Lord Jesus, you are far too good to us. You are a gift and um, we're grateful, God, that gifts are not given because we earned it.
but simply out of your love for us and your relationship with us and your desire for us to live in reality. And so, Lord, like in the parable of the sower, as as the seed of the gospel shoots up, it's choked out by weeds. And you explain that the weeds are the worries and cares of the world. That those things hinder us from producing fruit because it chokes out that life in us. It distracts us. Lord, I, I know nobody here wants to live a life that is lacking in fruit. No one who is in Christ has a true desire to come short in glorifying you in fullness. And so, Lord, we ask for your help. We need you. We thank you that you have rescued us from from that darkness, that, like in that train station, Lord. We thank you that that's not the poverty that we live in. We acknowledge, Lord, that we... We don't yet know a reality that is free of all worry and anxiety, that is in complete trust in who you are. And so we need you to teach us. I pray that we would not be arrogant and prideful and thinking that we have this all figured out, Lord, we don't. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us forward, that you would teach us convict, that you would break us, that you would that you would just have your way among us. So just spend a spend a minute or two, just you and the Lord, just just processing whatever it is that He stirred in you. And then when Cody begins to sing in a second, let's stand and let's let the Spirit pack that dirt in on top of what God has planted tonight.